Hey, welcome and welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci inviting you to call 303-873-1935. Happy, happy to take your call uh, of specific questions so that we can have specific answers. I'm happy to take your call at 303-873-1935. And, you know, we've been talking about the great big subject of sin. It, But it started off with the great big subject of offense. And earlier I talked a little bit about um, a headline that was in Britain that there are a growing uh, number of young British people who are willing to ban the Bible or, 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 or I guess the idea of editing, they're open to banning the Bible unless the offended parts can be edited out which leads to the subject of sin. Is sin an offensive subject? Is it, is it the kind of subject that offends people? And um, I, I was talking a little bit about that, and I'm happy to talk a little bit more about that. And I know that we have um, a caller, and so I want to get to the caller, but I know that someone else called in and told producer Jim I asked a question about uh, about sin and the nature of sin, and I want to get to that question as well, but let's go with the caller, 303-873-1935. Let's see who's up. Dan, welcome to the program. Hey, isn't sin a Hi, Dan. to God? How's it going? <laughs> How's it's it going, going good, but yeah, to, 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 yeah, I can. Yeah, if you ask and you answer that question, is sin offensive to God? And the Bible makes it abundantly clear that he is offended by sin. Now, so the, the, then the next question becomes, well, is he offended by sinners? Well, he died for sinners. I think the answer is yes. Well, you but see, that's part him. of the point. Now, <laughs> yes. Yeah, so now you have a, a, this nuanced situation where God isn't simply offended by sin, but he also seems to love sinners and is willing to save them in spite of how offensive their sin is. That's the whole notion of the gospel. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing grace, right? <laughs> and mercy. So, um, but doesn't that, that can tie into evil, too. You were talking about evil. I, I was coming down the canyon. I didn't have cell phone coverage. Um and evil sin, uh, talking free will, right? So we all have free will. We all can choose what we want to do. So that's why that's the only way that we can love God is we choose to love God, or we can choose to sin, right? Is that how you interpret that? Well, if the, the, if what you're asking, if 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 what you're asking me is what is the nature of free will? If you're asking me what is the nature of free will, what I, what I would basically say is what scholars have said for centuries, and that is we, 
we do have free will, but it isn't unlimited free will. In other words, do you can you if you if with all of your might, if you wish to go to Mars, can you? And the answer is no. But Elon Musk might say, uh, but if given enough technology and time and resources, maybe I could go to Mars. And and so th- there's that incredible question: How free is free will, and how does it relate to the problem of evil? And the standard answer, of course, is what you brought up. For love to be real, it can't be compelled or coerced. But I'm wondering if rebellion, in order for it to be real, does it have to be compelled and coerced? Um, So I don't know. Those are some complicated questions. There. <laughs> no, 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 no. They, they are, they are complicated question. And so, so the way that I would say is, hey, given the complicated nature of the conversation, is I'm willing to say free will is limited by physical possibilities. Free will is is uh, I'm going to use the word stained and tainted by sin. In other words, do you have the ability to act out graciously or in rebellion? In other words, are human beings hardwired towards selfishness and sin? I would or say they yes. Hard- yeah, yes, yes. So in order to do something different, does something, do we... Does something have to happen? And I, th- I think that the right answer is God, in his grace and his mercy, has to, to uh, give us the ability to, to, to love him and honor him and then empower us to do so. So we might define free will as the ability to choose whatever we want within the bounds of physical limitations which has to do with what we want. And to deal with that issue, Martin Luther wrote a a very famous book called The Bondage of the Will. The problem isn't that we're not free to choose what we want, but that we choose is severely limited by our desires. We freely choose to disobey God because that's what we want to do. Just like we can't fly like Superman because of physical limitations, we can't obey God due to spiritual limitations. So then the next big question becomes, how severe is that handicap? Are we so severely handicapped that when the gospel is given, we can't even respond to the gospel? Well, isn't that done by the Spirit? It says only by the Spirit are we saved, right? The Bible says no one comes to the Father unless they're drawn by the Spirit. Certainly that's true. And and certainly it's true that the Bible says that you didn't go looking for God. He went looking for you. Yeah, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Exactly. So, So there seems to be this sense in which God initiates the capacity and makes it possible. But then we're left with the big the big Calvinist dilemma. The big Calvinist dilemma is is does 
God truly offers salvation to everyone on the condition that they receive and believe in Jesus Christ, or does God only appear to offer salvation to all, which is called the general or the outward call, but only intends to save some and ensures that some he intends to save will be saved? Or or is the offer of salvation, the proclamation, the nature of the, the offer of free gift, the capacity to believe in Christ, therefore to receive the free gift, do human beings have the ability to do that? Uh, well, aren't you dealing on the God side of the equation right now? <laughs> and isn't it, I mean, he's, he's all-knowing, right, omniscient? So he's outside of time, so he knows what we're going to do. But just knowing what we're going to do doesn't compel us to do it or not do it. His knowledge of what's done doesn't compel what's done. Okay. (laughs) Some thoughts to ponder. Thank you. No, these are deep thoughts. Difficult (laughs) thoughts. Controversial (laughs) thoughts. Hey, thank you for your call. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Would love, love, love to take your call. 303-873-1935. 303-873-1935. And off the air, I mean, I know we got a call, uh, producer Jim, from someone who was basically asking the question about sin. And if I understand uh, the question right. Why, why don't you repeat what you think that the caller was asking? And hopefully, if we're getting it wrong, the caller will call us and say, "You're getting it wrong. You're answering a question that I don't want answered." But help, let's let's see. Let's try to do this. Okay. Basically, he was asking if sin can be forgiven by people. Like, can I forgive my friend and that sin be forgiven? Like, it's forgiven by God. Yeah, that's a that's a great question, and and I think the way that I I would answer that question is is to nuance the question. To so to the point, the the question implies that sin only offends of the person that you've offended, or that sin can somehow be isolated to the person who's sinning, or or the person who sinned against. And the way that I think I would answer that that question is I I suspect that human beings can forgive each other in order to somehow create an atmosphere of grace and mercy and forgiveness and reconciliation. However, what we fail to take into consideration is that whenever sin takes place, there's more than one party that's offended. So imagine, according to the question, it implies that the only that imagine the person thinks nobody got hurt except the person I hurt. And the Bible says, no, God is offended. So so the way that I would think about it is who does sin harm? Does it harm people? I think that the answer is yes. Does it sometimes harm more than one person? I think that the answer is yes, but ultimately all sin is against God. And there are many Bible references to to people admitting, I have sinned against God. And so imagine David um, tragically uh, commits adultery 
and has Bathsheba's husband killed. And then he goes and he says, against you and you only have I sinned. And you think, well, what about Bathsheba? And what about uh, Uriah the Hittite? But again, there seems to be, I, I, I don't, I'm not willing to dismiss the idea that when we offend and harm other people with sin, so the big question becomes, does sin offend and harm God in the sense that he is harmed, his holiness is harmed? Now, can you undo God's holiness? No. Can you ultimately harm God? No. But to that greater question, does all sin take place against God? And so the way that I would answer the caller's question, I think, is we're grateful that human beings are willing to forgive each other and let bygones be bygones. But does that mean that now that isn't a sin that I have to worry about before God? The way that I would answer that question is Jesus seems to answer it when he says, all manner of sin will be forgiven except one, um, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. In other words, there seems to be a kind of a sin that can't be forgiven, and it's the kind of sin where a person refuses and rejects God's willingness to forgive them in Christ and says, I want to have a right relationship with God, and I want to go to heaven, but I want to do it without Jesus. And so, again, in Exodus chapter 10, verse 16, it says, Then Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. In Joshua chapter 7, verse 20, it says, And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I did. This is the story where the children of Israel are, are taking over the land. And Achan goes in. And they were not supposed to take plunder. But Achan does. And Genesis chapter 39, verse 9, gives us an even closer look at this, where it says Joseph was being tempted to commit adultery with Potiphar's wife. And resisting her, he, he said, my master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? So it's interesting that Joseph didn't say that he would sin against Potiphar. Now, that's not to say, again, that Potiphar's unaffected. But apparently in the grand scheme of things, Joseph's loyalty is to God and to God's law, and it was God he didn't want to offend. And again, I, I hinted at this with David when he sinned with Bathsheba in Second Samuel chapter 11. So when he was confronted with his sin, David repented in great sorrow, and he said to God, against you... And you only have I sinned in Psalm 51.4. Now, again, let's state the obvious. He did sin against Bathsheba. He did sin against her husband. But in the hierarchy of offense, 
it was the violation of God's law that grieved God, uh, grieved David the most. God hates sin because it's the antithesis of his nature and because it harms someone else. And so that's a different question when we ask the question, I guess, why is God so offended by sin? And I think in part, the answer is because he's holy. It is literally against his nature. It's a crime against his nature. So sin might be thought of as a crime against a person, but ultimately against God. So when someone commits a crime, the person who's harmed by the crime isn't the one who punishes the criminal. Only the state can legally met out punishment. Now, I think we could make a case that when some people commit crimes, that that the that the person that they committed the crime against sometimes quote unquote the person takes the law into their own hands so just for purposes of discussion what i'm saying here is that legally only the state can mete out punishment it's the law that judges a person guilty or innocent not the victim so to the to the caller's question, imagine uh, the person who commits the crime says the victim has forgiven me. Does that mean there's no repercussions with the state? So, using a kind of a gross analogy, producer Jim, imagine a person says, "I know that I killed this person's husband." But his wife, her wife, the wife has forgiven me. (laughs) I'm not laughing because it's funny. I'm laughing because does that mean because the wife has forgiven him that there's no consequences or repercussions or there aren't other people who have to be taken into consideration? And so that's the way I would think about it. All moral law begins, continues and ends with God. 303-873-1935. I'll be back. Hey, welcome back. The number is 303-873-1935. We have a wonderful article at gotquestions.org, your questions, biblical answers. And sometimes I like to highlight some of our um, new articles. And sometimes I like to uh, talk about maybe some of our older articles. But one of the articles that we have posted there is the question, are Christians guilty of hate speech. And so the article that we have posted at gotquestions.org, your questions, biblical answers, 
it begins and it says, quote, a working definition of hate speech is speech, here's the quote, speech that is intended to insult, intimidate, or cause prejudice against a person or people based on their race, gender, age, sexual orientation, political affiliation, occupation, disability, or physical appearance, unquote. Now, if that's the accepted definition, a Christian shouldn't participate in hate speech. However, the problem is that the definition of hate speech seems to broaden, expand, proclaiming that a certain belief is wrong or that a certain activity is sinful based on biblical principles is increasingly being included in the definition of hate speech. So I would add to the article when it says hate speech is broadening, proclaiming that a certain belief is wrong or that a certain activity is sinful based on biblical principles. What I would do is go one step further and say, based on the revelation given in the Bible, it seems odd that I should have to say that, but that's where biblical principles are contained. So are there biblical principles about right and wrong and good and evil? And so, again, do we insult, intimidate, or cause prejudice against a person or people based on their race, gender, age, sexual orientation, political affiliation, occupation, disability, or physical appearance. So imagine a person's occupation is serial killer or, or, or murder for hire or, um, you know, a person whose job, at least as they see it, is to kill people for a living or, or to um, promote pornography or prostitution. So is it hateful? Is it hateful to say prostitution is wrong? Is it hateful to say that sexual expression outside of marriage between a man and a woman is wrong? Making a moral judgment. Is making a moral judgment that people find offensive wrong? So in Ephesians so in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15 it talks about speaking the truth in love. That's found in Ephesians chapter 4 like I said verse 15 rather speaking the truth in love we're to grow up in every way into him who's the head which is Christ. And in 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 15 it instructs Christians to defend their faith. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. But do it with gentleness and respect. 
And so in Colossians 4, 6, it says, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. And sadly, some people don't follow those instructions. 303-873-1935. Let's see who's up. Is it Lonnie? Yes, sir. Welcome. Thank you. You're talking about the evil in the world. Oh, yeah. And it reminded me of something that um, Tim Mackey supposedly said, that God created evil, that he brought suffering into the world like disease and death, and that death preceded Adam. Right. And the way that I would think about that is that when we when we it would look like that God, you know, people will say, well, did God create Satan? No, he creates Lucifer, a perfect being who becomes evil. So the way that I think about this is, no, God didn't create all things. But so you have to so we logically we go, well, God created all things. Evil exists, therefore God created evil. But the way that I think about it is evil isn't a thing like a rock or electricity. You can't have a jar of evil. Evil has no existence on its own. It was Ron Rhodes who famously talked about, and and Norm Geisler, that it's really the absence of good. So holes are real, but they only exist in something else. So so we call the absence of dirt a hole, but it can't be separated from the dirt. So when God creates, it's true that everything that he creates is good, but one of the good things that God makes is creatures who have the ability to choose and choose otherwise. And so in order for there to be, I think, genuine love, There has to be genuine choice, and so God allows angels and human beings to choose good and or reject good. And so, so think about that for just a moment. What is the rejection of good? It is the embracing of evil. And so, again, Ron Rhodes talks about um, that. It's it's. It's the absence of something. It's the absence of something. He Like if a person says, does cold exist, what would you say? Yes. Because However, it's the absence of the heat. Right. But in a way, it's incorrect in, in this way. Cold doesn't really exist. Cold is, if it's the absence of heat, darkness doesn't exist. It's the absence of life, light. Evil is the absence of what's good or better or best. Evil then becomes when God isn't present or the absence of God. So God doesn't create evil, in my view, but rather only allows for the absence of that which is good. Okay. So, okay. So Ron Rhodes wrote what book? I'm trying to remember, because um, yeah, I th- I think 
I'm trying to remember which book that he wrote, but the the one that Ron Rhodes refers to is by Norm Geisler. If God, why evil? A new way to think about the question. So Norm Geisler, a long time ago, wrote a, a book called If God, Why Evil? And if you go to normgeisler.com um, or if you type in Norman Geisler and evil or even Ron Rhodes and evil, I think that he has an article on this at his website. Um, okay. So I hope that's helpful. Hey, thanks for your call. This is Gino Geraci. Thanks for joining me. 303-873-1935. I'll be right back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Only one segment left, so if you'd like to join me, it's 303-873-1935. Talking about, you know, we've we've talked about a lot of different things about you know, the, the, we, we started off talking about this horrible, terrible thing that's happening in the in the Jefferson County school system with a, a school has assigned a girl to sleep with a boy who identifies as trans without parental notification. And so imagine just even saying that, that, well, well what's the problem? Um, is that hate speech when an 11-year-old biological boy who identifies with a, as a girl sleeps with an 11-year-old girl without parents' permission. Do you have a problem with that? I have a problem with that. Is it wrong? I think it is wrong. So we've talked about offense, and we've talked about sin, and we've talked about evil. And so... Again, if you'd like to join me on the program, the number is 303-873-1935. Lonnie, if you're still listening. Um, again, I'm, I'm trying to remember um, the Norm Geisler quote, but there's a J.P. Moreland quote, um, hopefully that I can get to. So evil is usually thought of as that which is morally wrong, that which is sinful or wicked. However, the word evil can also refer to anything that causes harm with or without the moral dimension. So the word is used both ways in the Bible. Anything that contradicts the holy nature of God could be defined as evil. And so... I quoted earlier Psalm 51.4, where David says, Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. So on the flip side, any disaster or tragedy or calamity could be called evil. In First Kings chapter seventeen, for First Kings chapter seventeen, verse twenty, for instance, it says, "And he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourn by slaying her son?" This is in the context First Kings chapter seventeen of Elijah, 
um, remember, with the widow at Zarephath who dies, and, and God is going to allow that death, but also there's going to be a resurrection. So evil behavior includes sin committed against other people, that's murder, theft, adultery, and then evil committed against God, unbelief, idolatry, blasphemy, But the way that I would also remind you is that sin committed against other people, murder, theft, and adultery, even though it's committed against other people, it has a consequence with God. So from the disobedience in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 2, the wickedness of Babylon the Great all the way fast forwarding to Revelation chapter 18 verse 2, the Bible speaks of the fact of evil and that man is held responsible for the evil that he or she commits. In Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20, it says, The one who sins is the one who will die. So evil is the lack of goodness. So evil isn't just simply the presence of something bad. It's the absence of something good. Moral evil isn't a tangible, physical thing in the sense that it's made of atoms, mass, matter. It is the lack or the privation of a good thing. We might even use the term deprivation of good. J.P. Moreland said, quote, evil is a lack of goodness. It's goodness spoiled. You can have good without evil, but you can't have evil without good. Or as Christian apologist Greg Kokel has said, Human freedom was used in such a way as to diminish goodness in the world. And that diminution, that lack of goodness, that's what we call evil. So we know in the Bible that God is love in 1 John 4, verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So the absence of love in a person is ungodlike and therefore evil. The presence of love is good. The absence of love is evil. And so the absence of love manifests itself in unloving behavior. The same can be said concerning God's mercy and God's justice and God's patience. The lack of these godly qualities in anyone constitutes evil. That evil then manifests itself in behavior that is unmerciful, unjust, impatient. In other words, it brings more harm than good into the, into the world that God has made. And remember, God makes the world good In the first two chapters of Genesis, we find the reoccurring 
explanation and exclamation. And the Lord said that this is good. This is good. This is good. As it turns out, we lack a lot, quote, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one, unquote. That's Romans chapter 3, verse 10. So moral evil is wrong that's done to others, and it can exist even when unaccompanied by external action. So murder is evil. It's an evil action, but it it has its start in the moral evil of hatred in the heart, according to Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 and 22. You'll remember Jesus said, you've heard it said, you don't kill. But I I say don't hate a person for no good reason uh, without a cause. Committing adultery is evil, but so also is the moral evil of lust in the heart. So Jesus says it's what comes out of a person. That's what defiles them. For it's what's inside, for it's from what's within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, the list goes on and on. And in Mark chapter 7, verse 20, it says, in verse 23, it says, all these evils come from inside and defile a person. So... God is not the author of moral evil. It's his holiness that defines it. And so we're created in the image of God, and we bear the responsibility to make moral choices that please God and conform to his will. But probably not going to happen anytime soon in this culture and society. That's why you need to be salt and light. Thanks for joining me. I'll be back tomorrow, hopefully taking your calls and answering your questions. 